My name is Janet, for those of you who don't know. Um, hi. Um, long-term listener. Um, not quite so um, long-term speaker. I have done it a couple of times, so hopefully you're in fairly safe hands. Who knows? We'll see. If you get up and start walking out, then I will get a bit panicked, so just, yeah, stay. Okay. Um, I was going to say something, but I can't remember it because I've now just locked myself out of my screen. That's okay. So let's just start. Um, my prayer today is that you'll take what God wants you to have out of what I'm going to say today, and the rest of it will just go to the breeze, that actually just just contemplate on what I say, and if there's something that God wants to speak to you about while that's happening, that's all great. Okay, so let's get underway. Um, oh, and I'll nod when it's time. Oh, look, it's up there already. That's fine. <laughs> So in case you didn't know, we're actually going to talk about a time of presence. It's week three of Advent, um, and yeah, so um, we'll just see what that all means for us. Um, I'm just going to start off with just a couple of verses from a song that I really like. Um, it is a Christmas uh, song, carol, um, from one of my favourite people, Chris Tomlin. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. <laughs> Here within a manger lies the one who made the starry skies, this baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah. Into our hopes, into our fears, the saviour of the world appears, the promise of eternal years, Christ the Messiah. So yes, so today the topic is all about presence, about being present and being humble. So what does it mean to be in the presence of God? Is it a physical thing, or is it a bit more spiritual, where you just sense God being with you? Is it actually being with God, or a warm, fuzzy feeling? I, um, I did a little bit of looking, and I found that there is a Hebrew word, not for every word presence, but for one type of presence, and it's panim, which translates as face. And as iPhones and tablets weren't around when the Bible was being written, I think it's fairly, assumed, it's fairly safe to assume that face implies a physical presence, a face-to-face -face encounter. We'll go from slide number two. Thanks, Morgan. If we think about the history of the Bible, we can probably think of a few times where God is physically present here on the earth. Obviously, there's the Genesis account, which may or may not have been a hands-on activity, but we do read of how God formed Adam from mud and how he made Eve from Adam's rib. And we also read how God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Presumably, God was present with Moses when he received the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19 tells us that God came down upon Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountains. Now, we don't actually know what that looked like because there was this great big cloud covering everything. But when Moses came down, he looked pretty much like, yeah, I've been there with God. We also read about the presence of God being in a cloud, a pillar of fire, in the quiet, in the Ark of the Covenant, and in a dove. We also read how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then, of course, we experience the very presence of God face to face in the form of Jesus. Yet while Jesus is God, he is very much man. So our reading today primarily comes from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through to something else and I can't quite remember I think it's 11 but we're just going to look at 2 um, through to 6 this is from the message um, and this describes the way that Jesus thought of himself if you want to 
follow along in your Bibles, you're welcome to. If not, it's, it's all up there. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. It's a pretty incredible story when you think about it. An omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So that's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present supernatural being who has the complete and utter right to be sovereign of everything, decided that the best course of action would be to come to the earth as a defenceless baby. When we consider Jesus, we marvel that Jesus came as a baby. We remember the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, the Christmas tree, the tinsel, the baubles, maybe not those ones. But then we often skip forward a few decades to the start of his ministry, the wedding at Cana, when he turns water into wine. Got to say, possibly one of the best. There is that short account in Luke 2 when Jesus was 12, when he stayed behind in the temple at Jerusalem and possibly got grounded by his parents. Verse 51 says, he went back to Nazareth with his parents and lived obediently with them. But there's actually not a lot about Jesus' life on this earth growing up. The assumption would be that Jesus followed the customs and traditions of the day um, and the times that he lived in and his culture. Again, in Luke we read that he grew both in body and in spirit, and he was blessed by both God and people. But that actually just implies an amazing, extraordinary child, teenager, and young adult, not this all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present God. So why did Jesus do it? Why did he put himself on the same footing as the humans he created and allow himself to go through everything he did? could be argued that Jesus knew that it was short-term pain for long-term gain. The next part of Philippians says that because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honoured him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all, to the glorious honour of God the Father. But actually, do we really think this about Jesus? If we look at his life and the legacy he's given us, do we really think that Jesus would have gone through everything he went through just because he thought there'd be a huge reward at the end of it? Slide number six, oh sorry, (laughs) slide six, thanks for walking, oh look at these there already, tells us that the spirit produces love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. That's from the message. I know gentleness is in there too, but 
It's been replaced by humility in this case. We can have slide seven, thanks Morgan. When we consider the presence of God in the Old Testament, we could see God as being very much the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty, the Great I Am, the Creator and Giver of Life. The reality is that you probably really wouldn't want to mess with him. But when we see the presence of God in the New Testament, we see Jesus. Jesus who is wholly divine, but who chose to become wholly human and to give up his divinity. Jesus, who was kind and compassionate, who loved the unlovable. So why? Why did Jesus go through this process? Why did he become a man, become lower than the angels? Well, we actually already know the answer to that. It was so that we, us, through his death and resurrection, could become sons and daughters of God, and we could find our place with him here on this earth and in the life to come. Jesus did it because ultimately he wants a relationship with us, because he loves us. So what does that all mean for us now at this time in our lives? In the same way that God desires to be present with us, so too do we need to desire to be present with God. The really cool thing is that it doesn't matter whether it's Christmas or not. When we decide to be a follower of Jesus, we get the best present either, ever. We get a gift of God. We get God coming and living in us. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So we get the presence of God coming and dwelling in us and with us. So what does that look like? We story about me. <laughs> I am blessed in that I work with small people as well as big people. I'm the manager of an early childhood centre that has a Christian philosophy. I always describe the way we implement our philosophy as a gentle Christian philosophy. Our centre and the trusts that oversees the various community ministries that we have have some core values. Two of those are grace and love. And they're underpinned by a desire that no matter where you've come from or where you're going, that you feel loved and accepted, that grace is extended and that you're not judged or made to feel less than others. In our centre, about 85% of our families are non-Christians. Yet our parents come to us not only because of what we offer for their children, but also because of what we offer them, love and acceptance. Over the years, I've had numerous people from all walks of life come into our centre and comment on the feeling of the place. Now, our centre is really loud. <laughs> it's really busy and it is full of small children who move really quickly. It's not calm, it's not peaceful, it's not quiet, it's not reflective, but there is something. And I've always liked to believe that that's the presence of God. So where does that come from? Well, first and foremost, God. But actually, from the people within the center. 
um, we're all a bunch of Christians here. And we all come from actually really quite diverse Christian backgrounds. Um, But all of us are working really hard on doing the thing that God's asked us to do. To love and accept others, to extend grace, and to not judge. Slide number nine. Thanks, Morgan. Over the years, I've actually had the privilege of walking part of the journey with some people for whom life isn't easy. Some of these people have experienced things in their life where it could be easy to judge their actions, but the the reality is that they don't need an onlooker judging them. They are already really good at doing that themselves. And actually, that can be said for most of us. We all know our faults and failings. Unfortunately, though, we can focus so much on these that we forget that we're loved. One of my lovely teachers has a favourite saying that we have adopted primarily for our children, but also a way of explaining how we try and extend grace to everyone. When they're at their worst, they need love the most. This is how God feels about us. Now, I didn't tell you about our preschool just so that you think we're all a bunch of good Christians, because actually we're not. We have just as many struggles and doubts as the next person. In fact, there's a lot of us who have probably more than the next person. We're blessed that we're in it together, and that certainly does make it easier. Christianity isn't supposed to be something we do in isolation. We don't become part of the family of God to then go off and live like a hermit. We're supposed to be part of something bigger. For some, it's being involved in a small group. For some, it's working in a Christian organisation. For others, it's coming to church on Sunday. Sometimes it might be a special mentoring relationship you have. We need to live our lives aware of the fact that God is present with us and us with him. And we need to try to show this to those around us. And a good way to do this is by starting to display the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. We need to become more like Christ, extending grace and mercy. So how do we do it? For me, a good way to get myself in a position to display these attributes is by making a conscious effort to connect with God and his presence in my life. Now, I'm not the best at reading scripture, and I have been known to fall asleep while I'm talking to God. But I am really into listening to Christian worship. Not the songs that are all airy-fairy and could be written about your latest girl or boyfriend, but the songs, because they don't mention God, but the songs that actually speak truth from the Bible, that tell me of the majesty of God or remind me about how God is with me in spite of my circumstances. The songs that speak life and connect me to God and enable me to reflect. Now, some people can spend hours reading the word and praying. Others can meditate will have deep and meaningful conversations. Everyone has a way of connecting with God. Sometimes, though, we're just not sure what our way is. It's actually okay to experiment. God wants us to do our part, to put aside our earthly nature for the nature of Christ, to humble ourselves, 
to do God's will. And what is God's will? Well, it's a whole other sermon, but I do feel like a lot of it is what we do to share the presence of God with others. So many people these days don't get to experience God. They're even often unsure whether or not he exists. It's difficult enough sometimes for us Christians to grasp the amazing power and nature of God. So for someone who is unfamiliar with God, this is even harder. But what they can grasp is God in action in us. Now, I wasn't going to share this story because it's another story, <laughs> but, but um, I had a mum fairly recently who um, came into my office and um, she was telling me about her child and the struggles that she was having. Beautiful child, she's got absolutely gorgeous, but there's some things going on for, for that wee person. And um, we just talked and I um, yeah, we just encouraged her and what she was doing and all of that. And at the very end, I said to her, would you like me to pray for you? Um, and she said, I don't know, because she'd never had anyone offer to pray for her before. And she said, yeah, that would be okay. And so I prayed for her. And um, I actually did notice that while I was praying, a tear rolled down her cheek. But I just, at the end of the prayer, it was short and simple, and I said to her, was that okay? And she said, yeah. And then um, she went away and then came back later to pick her child up. And I said, how was the rest of your morning? And she said, it was really nice. She said, I went for a walk on the beach, a nice quiet walk. And I said to her that I hoped it wasn't weird that I had prayed for her. And again, she repeated that it was really nice. It was really good. Sometimes we may be the only person ever to show others what Jesus is like. A kind word, an offer to pray, a helping hand, love and acceptance. These are just some of the physical actions we can do to show God to others. Slide 10, thanks, Morgan. So, back to Jesus. Oh, that's what it, I couldn't remember what it was. Um, after all, Jesus is the reason for the season, regardless of when he was actually born. God, in the form of Jesus, chose to come to this world, to be present and to be part of it, to give us the gift of himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to enjoy his presence, and he also wants to enjoy ours. It's all about relationship, us connecting with God and sharing that connection with those around us. The Hebrew word panim is an apt word for the presence of God, because not only do we get to experience the presence of God in our lives, but we can be the face and the rest of the body of God to others. And now I'm going to say, are there any questions? Because <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> you can ask. You are allowed to ask a question if you like, but you don't have to because that's really embarrassing, I know. <laughs> cool. Um, is there a song? Should we do a song? Yeah, let's do a song.